when we think about our friends as kind of like our support network and like our lifelines and like our care connections and like our family, right? Because I was thinking to myself, like I was almost crying while she was driving me home because I was just like, I am a single person and like I like am dating some people right now, but like I, I don't have like that partner. Like I don't think my life is ever going to look like my mom and my dad's life where like they kind of like are a pair, like that's it. But like I have this like really beautiful, like incredible support network anyway that I invest in and that invests back in me. And I don't know, like it makes me emotional. Like I like feel like I could start crying talking about it now because it's just like I've made that choice to make sure that my friends feel like really valued and really valuable to me. And they have shown me that like the same is true for them. And we're creating like care structures in the world that society for me definitely growing up like did not tell me was available and like did not celebrate and did not really support. And I think like to me like that's what friendship is and that's why it's important and that's why like investing in it is important to me because it makes me feel like That was Vanessa Friedman, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 174. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest, who is one of my personal friends, and we dig into a conversation that's actually about friendship. But Before we get to that, I would love to quickly read you a recent iTunes review that I love. But okay, side note, are we still saying iTunes? Is it Apple Podcasts now? I don't know. I can't keep up. I think people still say iTunes. Who knows? I mean, I should probably know, but oh well. Anyway, a review and you know what I mean when I say iTunes. Uh, So today's review is from Amanda Folk and they say, quote, I adore the array of guests on this show. I started listening for the more outdoorsy interviews, but I stayed for the fabulous interview style. I've learned so much from listening to this show. Honestly, this show got me through many, many long commutes, and it was the bright spot to many of my days. I recommend this show to so many people, so I knew that I had to write a review. Definitely give this one a listen. Oh, that makes me feel so good. Thanks, Amanda. And thanks to everyone else who's taken a minute or two to rate or review the show. It really helps to boost the visibility, help new people find us. And I so appreciate the love and I read every single review. So thank you so much. And also huge thanks as well to the 400 plus people in our Patreon community whose contributions of $1 or more per episode are literally what make this entire show possible. As you know by now, this is a 100% listener-supported show with no ads or sponsors, which means that these conversations are financially supported by awesome, regular people just like you. You can join us and learn more about all the fun bonuses that you get as a community member over at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. The financial support, it's what will allow me to keep making new episodes. Uh, Three per month is the plan going forward, and it pays everyone that's involved in creating the show. That includes me. It includes my sound engineer, Adam Day, who's incredible. Hi, Adam. And it also includes every single one of my guests. It's been my dream, as I've talked about for years, to be able to pay all of my guests. And now that our community has met the funding goal that makes that possible, it means that all the guests whose stories that you love are indeed getting paid for the time that they spend and share with us. And of course, higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. 
So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. I would love to have you in our fun community. Okay, so let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Vanessa Friedman. Vanessa is a queer, fat, femme, Jew, witch, writer, editor, and photographer currently based in New York. She's the community editor at Autostraddle and an MFA creative nonfiction candidate at Sarah Lawrence College. She writes about queer friendship, home, nature, desire, and the body. Her words have been published at Autostraddle, Nylon, Shape, and elsewhere, and she also writes a bi-weekly newsletter called I Miss You, which you can subscribe to over in the show notes. In this episode, Vanessa and I have a deep conversation about adult friendship, maintaining existing friendships, developing new ones, breaking up with friends, going deeper with friends, investing in friendships as much or more than we do in other types of relationships, and all that good stuff. I'm personally pretty fascinated by what I think of as the beautiful, sometimes fraught, and definitely nuanced topic of friendship. And when I started thinking about who to invite to have this conversation, my friend Vanessa was the first person that came to mind since friendship is such a bright and genuine part of her life. It's something that she invests in more deeply and intentionally and impactfully than pretty much anyone that I know. So if you've been wanting deeper friendships, if you're in a place of reevaluating friendships, if you'd love to make new friends, or if you're struggling to accept a changing or a fading friendship, I bet you'll love this episode. And you'll also love Vanessa's honest storytelling as much as I do. So all of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. Awesome. We are good to go. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So the first thing that I have to ask you, <laughs> you're probably going to laugh and think this is a ridiculous first question, but um, in there's two things that you have in, I think it's between like Twitter and Instagram, like in your bios that I definitely want you to talk more about, right? Mm-hmm. So the first is that you are self-defining as sappy and slutty. Tell me more about that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, I always joke that I've like broken my brain by being on the internet. Like I can't think of myself outside of like branding words, which is so gross. But then I just kind of leaned into it and I was like, well, that's okay. Like I'm an earnest person. I know that I have like a rich inner world and like, it's okay if I can think of like silly little slogans and slap that on myself and like make jokes about it. And I was thinking one day about how I'm so sentimental and I'm like so deeply situated in my heart and how I like feel about people. And I'm always like emoting all this love, but I also love having sex. And I'm also like that friend who's like, how's your date? Do you want to show me your nude? Like we can workshop your nudes. We can talk about anything you need to in terms of like getting your needs met on a sex level, which I realize is like not everyone's needs, but is definitely mine. (laughs) Um, And I was like, oh, one day I was just like sitting at my computer, like I think probably working on some writing thing. And I was like, wow, I am sappy and slutty all the time. And then I was like, that's great. Put that in your bio. (laughs) New business card. (laughs) Kind of. I like thought about it. Okay. I have to, it feels very gratifying to me to be having this conversation with you for many reasons. First of which is because I think it's an interesting thing to have your 
real life friends on a podcast because it's like a chance to sort of ask questions in a way that usually doesn't happen in just like regular friend conversations, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That I'm like, oh, I can not that I couldn't ask you any of these questions otherwise, but I'm like, okay, we have an hour and a half or two hours. (laughs) Like I'm going to ask you everything. So Mm -hmm. based on what you just said and something that I know that I've heard you talk about a lot when you just said, I'll help you like workshop your nudes. Talk to me about the role of nudes in your life. What do you, what, what, what is my question? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, nudes are a lot of things to me. Um, Let me try to be, you're right. It is funny when you're talking to a friend because I'm like, oh, well, then I'm like, oh, make this, um, you know, digestible for people who are just tuning in to meet me, I guess. So nudes to me on a self level are a form of self-love. So you mean like Um, nude selfies, right? Just to clarify. Yeah. mm -hmm. Photos that I take always on my iPhone of myself in various stages of undress. Like maybe I'm in a really nice bra or maybe I'm in like, you know, my workout pants and no shirt or maybe I'm fully naked. Just anything that would kind of, I guess, get like a not safe for work tag to me is a nude. And yeah, I, I don't know if it's because, like, I'm 30, so I grew up with the concept of being, like, okay, like, sending nudes is something someone could do. Uh, you know, like, I've almost always had a cell phone in my pocket, and starting in college, that cell phone had, like, a pretty decent phone um, camera attached to it, sorry. But, yeah, I think... I think when I was kind of like younger, like maybe like early 20s, it was like, oh, like nudes, like those are bad. Like if like somebody leaked your nudes, like that would be really shameful. Or like it was kind of like, you know, often used as like a tool to like harm women. Like, oh, we like leaked this sex tape and like the guy's a badass and the woman's a slut. Or like, oh, you know, if you ever wanted to go into politics, which like I don't, but like, you know, that's kind of like something that like my mom used to say to me, like, oh, you know, like for your career, um, you need to be careful. And I think, I mean, this is kind of deep to talk about in relation to nudes, but like women's bodies and our sexualities and like the idea that we would have desire or find ourselves desirable or like want to have sex has always been used to harm us or to like attempt to harm us. And I think one of the cool things that like, at least in my friend circle or like community circle, I've kind of like sorted out is it's just kind of like what will happen if a nude of mine leaks? Like what? I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm really hot. You're welcome. Or like, oh, like just a couple of nights ago, my best friend did this like beautiful photo shoot of me and Gabby Fresh lingerie in her like secret garden that she's grown that's like filled with like flowers and fairy lights and like beautiful like white metal furniture and it's gorgeous I'm like very excited about it I'm going to post some of them on the internet on the first day of Leo season to be like you're welcome um and what will happen if those leak like people will be like wow your bra is really beautiful like where did you buy it so yeah I don't know I guess that's kind of kind of like a political answer. It's kind of like a deeper answer than maybe people think of when they think of nudes. But for me, the first step was just like feeling empowered by them. Like I'm a fat person and I'm told in a lot of ways that my body shouldn't be considered sexy or like I should not feel good in my body. These are the ways I should want to change my body. And so both like 
saying, no, absolutely not. Like, that's not how I feel. I think I'm sexy. I think I look amazing. And like, you probably do too. And like, again, you're welcome. Like, these are great photos. And then um, also kind of taking away the stigma of it. Like, what would happen that was bad if somebody saw my naked body? Like, honestly, if I'm in charge of it, nothing. Like, fuck you. And then also as a form of self-love, right? Because like I don't exist in a vacuum. I do exist in our society that does tell me literally every day that my body um, should feel undesirable to me. I should want to change it. I should want to like do things and spend money <laughs> to, um, to quote, like fix myself, um, to wake up every morning and like look at my body and be like, actually this body rules. Actually, I find myself really desirable. I'm going to take some photos and like get myself in my best light and kind of like really look at like my boobs and like the role of fat on my upper thigh that like honestly is like harder for me to love than my boobs. Right. Cause like I look at my boobs and I'm like, Oh, big boobs, curvy. Like people like that. I have these roles on my upper thighs that like, I don't always feel very good about. I don't see them on a lot of people. Like bodies are different. Everyone's like fat distributes differently. Even on other fat bodies, I don't always notice it. And it like used to be a part of my body that I felt really self-conscious about. And it's still a part that I'm working to love, like more than say like my boobs or my ass, but, but really like taking nudes of myself for myself has been really a big part of my like self-love practice. And also like in a like sluttier way, I guess, like my practice of like finding myself desirable and like kind of being able to make the leap that other people find me desirable also. Um, so that's my own like personal nude practice. And then in terms of like workshopping a nude or like having like a group chat where like you and your friends send each other nudes. I think I just tweeted yesterday because I was laughing because I just went to a writing workshop and like made 10 new friends. And then like somehow organically we got to the part where we were all like, oh, should we make a group chat like for nudes? And I was like, is being an adult just making a new group chat to send friendly nudes every time you make new friends? And I realized that's not everyone's experience, but it does feel like my life experience. Yeah, it's so. definitely not everyone's experience because the reason, I mean, I'm so fascinated about this because this is absolutely not how things work in my friend group. And okay. I mean, okay. I guess to be fair, <laughs> I also feel, and this is obviously we're going to talk a lot about friendship, but I also feel like I don't necessarily have a friend group. Maybe that's a product of having moved around as much as I have or having really varied interests where I have some friends that like I met through hiking and some through other things, right? That like there isn't necessarily a lot of overlap either geographically or like how we first came into each other's lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like obviously there are friends in common, but I was trying to think even like knowing that this was something we were going to talk about, like I don't have like a group chat with a group of friends like this would ever come up because there isn't even really like a group. I don't know, I f but I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like I would like in my life to have what you are describing, whether it's a group or just like a person to be like, hey, we should send these photos back. Like I've never, mm -hmm. it wouldn't have even crossed my mind. Not, I mean, it has knowing that that's something that's part of your life and you're in my life, but I don't know. I find it really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, we, we can always workshop nudes if you're humble. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So pivoting a little bit, the other bio word that I wanted to ask you about is Jewish. Mm -hmm. So tell me more. Just like, what does it mean to me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is a fun way to talk. You're right. I, this is different than all of our regular conversations. Um, 
So I'm Jewish and that is important to me in as much as like I was raised Jewish. My parents are South African. So actually like moving around a lot is resonant to me in the earlier part of my life. Um, and my parents uh, moved us from South Africa to Toronto and then from Toronto to Boston um, all before I was 10. And Judaism was always kind of like the context in which I understood community as a child. I didn't know I was gay or queer um, when I was a kid. I realized that when I was 20. So growing up, when I think about community and community spaces, I think of like Jewish community and I think about the South African Jewish community specifically, especially where we lived in Toronto. We lived in a neighborhood called Thornhill, which like some people will say isn't even Toronto, but it's like, I think like the greater Toronto area, maybe. Um, But it was such, it was such kind of like a hub of where other South African Jews had moved that I used to joke that, like, we didn't even know any Canadians. Like, everyone we knew when I lived in Canada was South African and Jewish. And so it's not like my family is particularly religious. I actually always say, like, I'm not very Jewish at all. And then my non-Jewish friends will be like, oh, no, you are. So I'm kind of like, okay, like, contextually, where does my religion fall? I guess I'm not particularly interested in going to synagogue, um, definitely like Orthodox Judaism doesn't make sense to me, but for like my life and like the way Judaism always functioned in my life, like it meant like holidays with friends and family. And it meant like celebrating Shabbat every week and like saying the prayer over the candles with my mom and like probably making like a pretty elaborate Shabbat dinner because my mom really likes to cook. And it's just kind of like the cultural context in which I was raised Like, there are things, like, when I meet other Jewish people, we'll both be like, oh, yeah, like, this and this and this. And my non-Jewish friends, like, just wouldn't wouldn't understand. And then um, as I grew older, like, when I was moving around more myself and when I moved to Oregon and when I kind of – I worked for a while on We Moon, which is a feminist astrological date book that some of my friends produce out of, like, their their home in Southern Oregon – And I kind of was more interested in some pagan rituals that they were teaching me and just kind of like, I don't know, I'm loath to be like another, you know, white girl who's like, I'm a witch. Um, Obviously, everyone has their own practices, but I think there is some hmm, just kind of like colonizing behavior over the ideas of witchcraft and like what spiritual practices belong to who and who makes like money off of them and who is kind of like monetizing the trendiness of like a witch aesthetic versus things that are like really rooted in like ancestral practices. So it, at first I totally was like one of those white girls who was like, I'm a witch. Um, and I, I do have my own like personal practices. I read tarot. I'm interested in like where the moon is. I'm interested in doing work around that, but I'm not I'm I'm less interested in kind of like positioning myself as an authority or an expert. And I'm more interested in it as like a personal practice for myself. And as, as I learn more, I mean, I feel very new at it. It's only been about five years that that has been of interest to me um, or something that I'm really kind of like deeply trying to learn about and figure out like where, where my practice might fall in a way that feels good, like to the whole and also to myself personally. I was realizing how many crossovers there are between like the Jewish rituals that I grew up with and like pagan or 
I guess, more witchy rituals that I'm interested in. And I think one of my friends once was like, you're a Jew witch. And I was like, oh, that actually feels really good. That feels like kind of explicitly talking about the things that I'm specifically interested in, in, in both of the spiritual aspects of my life. Um, so I just started saying that and it makes sense to me. Uh, and I'm always down to talk about both. I think a lot of times when, especially because I'm a writer and because I'm an editor and I like work a lot on the internet. So I'm not like, I am a casual internet user and that like, it's fun to like take Instagram videos of like my friend's cats, but I'm also often like promoting my work or like I, I think about Instagram, I think, and Twitter and the internet in general a little bit more as like my workplace rather than just like a playground, which I think depending on what kind of job you have and what you're using social media for, like, I mean, I'm sure you relate, like those things can be different. And so any word or like, uh, I'm trying to think of the, I don't mean brand, but like any kind of like short specific thing that you're putting out there on the internet, especially if you're thinking of the internet in a professional context, as well as a playful context is something that you want to be like willing to talk about. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if my Judaism was really personal to me and I never wanted anyone to ask me about that, I would probably not put that I was a Jewish in my bio or like ditto, like in terms of like witchy stuff. Like if that was not something that I was on the available to discuss, I would probably just kind of keep that to myself. But I love talking to people about the ways in which they're interacting with their spirituality and like, especially the intersection between kind of like more pagan rituals and Jewish rituals and how those intersect and how they don't intersect. So for me to put that out there, it's kind of like, to me, I'm like signaling like, yes, I'm available to chat about that. Like, yes. Like, does that resonate with you also? Like, let's talk like, you know, that kind of I guess that's why it's there. Yeah. So maybe we're going to have to do a whole other episode that's on like spiritual practice stuff because I'm deeply interested <laughs> in everything you just shared, kind of coming from like a, a really different perspective of not having grown up really in any kind of religious context. Like I was raised sort of as how I think of like, commercially Christian, right? Like mm-hmm. celebrating the holidays, but more from like a decorative, my mom likes to decorate, right? Like it wasn't going to church. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't really any religious context behind it. And so not being brought up that way, but now starting to explore some different things like for myself, I'm always interested in hearing from people who A, grew up with a different context, right? And so have like familial and communal ties to some kind of religion or spiritual practice as like a grounding thing. And then also having the conversation of what does it look like as an adult to start to explore some of this stuff and feel like quite a beginner in it, right? And like making things your own. And there's just something in that that I find really interesting that I'm going to like stop myself from pulling in the threads because I feel like this could be its own like whole conversation. <laughs> totally. So pivoting a little bit, um, one of the most upvoted topics of discussion in the Patreon community for the podcast this year and even towards the end of last year that so many folks have been dying to hear more about has been friendship. From the conversations that I've had with folks in the community, it honestly seems like everyone is working through or struggling with or thinking about or reevaluating some aspect of adult friendships, like whether that's maintaining existing ones, developing new ones, breaking up with friends, like friendships fading, going deeper, investing in friendships, like every single angle, right, of this. And Mm -hmm. when I started thinking about 
who to invite to have sort of the first in what will hopefully be a series of conversations on this topic. You were literally the, like the first person that came to mind. I was like, it has to be Vanessa. Vanessa is the only person I want to talk to first about this because I feel oh like <laughs> I feel like friendship seems to be such a bright and genuine part of your life and something that you invest in like more deeply and seemingly like intentionally and impactfully than pretty much anyone that I know. Wow. Thank you. And there's so much that we're going to dig into, I'm sure, under this umbrella topic. But I guess going back a little bit, I'd love to ask what your friendships were like when you were a kid. Yeah, that's such an interesting question. Like I said, um, I think at the beginning of this episode, I didn't realize I was queer as a kid. I'm totally not one of those people that's like, oh, I knew forever. And like, I finally came out. Like, I fully thought I was a straight person, like, was boy crazy, was always trying to like locate my next crush because... I think I am sort of someone that's like always been filled with desire. So I was like, okay, like, where do I put this? Okay, girls like boys. So like, I better find a boy that I like. Um, And yeah, growing up, I think my friendships were definitely kind of fraught. I was always finding myself in like groups of three and getting my feelings hurt. And my mom would be like, three is such a terrible number. And three is, I mean, three is whatever. Yes, I think sometimes threesome friendships can be hard, but three is not a terrible number. It's just that like little girls, I don't think are always taught to value friendship as much as like we value other things or like other means of mm, like approval or like what we're supposed to want. So a lot of the things that were hard with my friendships were like, you know, two people ganging up on the other one or like everyone having a crush on this same boy and then like that that not being okay just like really I mean really like basic kind of like childhood dramas that you have with your friends it was like nothing horrifying it was just like the trials and tribulations of being a seven-year-old girl um and I think looking back right like I definitely didn't know this while it was happening but now that I'm 30 and I can like kind of look back on child me I definitely just always wanted to fit in I wanted to like understand that that the people around me understood me and that I understood them, you know, like the the most basic like human desires that we have in our heart to feel like seen and to feel understood and to feel secure and loved. Um, And I think being an adult, I am learning more that like my like family of origin upbringing is not necessarily the norm. Like my parents are still together today. They've been married for like 34 years. They still like each other. They gave me and my brother like a lot of unconditional love. I felt very supported in my home. And we were also financially very comfortable. Like I would say my family is upper middle class. And so all those things together kind of gave me this really solid base of what I understood to be my right, right? Like to have like unconditional love and security and like not feel scarcity around love and acceptance, which unfortunately the more I, I mean, this thing, I don't mean to sound condescending. It's just kind of like the, the more I meet other people, the more I'm an adult and like learn about other people's lived experiences. A lot of my friends are like, FYI, like the way you grew up is like not the way I grew up. Like that, that feeling of unconditional love or that feeling of like security is not something I had for, for a variety of reasons. So I think I, I do want to kind of like shout out my parents for like 
thanks for, I mean, first of all, like having the financial means to like be able to do those things. And then also like having like the emotional means to be able to support me in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that gave me a really solid base for what I was thinking I was entitled to in relationships, which honestly we are all entitled to, right? Like love, security, honesty, open communication. But if you're sitting down with like kids and being like, you know, are you being like, are you directly communicating? <laughs> like, no, I don't know. Like I, I don't know any like elementary school or middle school kids who are necessarily thinking about their friendships in that way. Although maybe in Portland where like people are raising their kids, maybe they're having those conversations now. <laughs> but when I was a kid, um, that wasn't that wasn't how I was like internalizing things or how I was acting things out. So I think I think a lot of my childhood friendships were kind of like me feeling a little bit misunderstood or like me not really understanding why I wasn't connecting in the ways that I wanted to with the people that I wanted to. I was never like a cool girl, but I also always had friends, you know, like in high school, my friends and I were like, the theater kids and like the photo kids and I would like eat lunch in the photo room and think I was like so cool with like my Converse sneakers and my like thick black eyeliner but I wasn't a loner like I had like the other kids who were also kind of like you know wearing Converse sneakers and thick black eyeliner. (laughs) I just don't think like the you kind of saying like you feel like you don't have like a friend group or or like kind of like a specific woven community in the way that like maybe my life looks like now. Um, I didn't have that as a kid either. And I think I was kind of always searching for that, but I couldn't quite locate my people, which I think like when I talk to adults now who have trouble um, making friends or like haven't like quite found their people yet, I think of myself as a child and I'm like, oh, I remember what that feeling was like of not finding my people. For me, when I came out as queer and kind of like dropped into queer community, I quite quickly like found my people. And it's not like all queer people are my people, but through that lens of community and through like that kind of structure, I was able to find my people. But that definitely wasn't my experience as a kid. Although I have always had like very deep friendships. Like actually when I came out as gay, one of my friends from high school was like, I don't want this to sound rude. And it didn't sound rude. Like I, I, I realized as I started to tell you the story, I was like, oh, this could be misperceived. It wasn't rude. Like I felt totally fine about it. But she was like, I'm not that surprised because like you always had these like really deep emotional bonds with other girls. And I kind of felt two ways about it because I do think that like straight women also have deep emotional bonds with other straight women. And like, that's fine. And talking about female friendship in that lens, I think like assuming that those people are queer is taking away from another really special kind of relationship, which is which is friendship between straight women or like a straight woman and a queer woman. Like it doesn't have to be like a queer context for someone to have a deep friendship. But I do think like I understood what my friend meant because I, to my understanding, to be able to look back on my life and be like, oh, I am queer. And like some of these feelings, like, yes, like that was just a platonic feeling. But like when my friend and I like spooned in bed, like every weekend at a sleepover in high school, like, 
there probably was something else going on for me. I just didn't have the language or the context for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like as a kid and adolescent and even in high school, I very much had like the friend group, right? Like the Mm -hmm. people that I did all the things with, the we're all in each other's lives. Like it's mostly like, not that we didn't have friends outside the group, but they were pretty tight group structures. And it's been interesting for me to watch almost like the opposite evolution, right? That I very much Mm -hmm. had that sort of through... I don't know, early college, I didn't really enjoy college very much. That could be a whole other story. But it's been interesting then, like, moving past that, like, into my 20s, into my 30s, of how those relationships have changed. That it doesn't have sort of the same, like, group dynamic. But I've always been someone who does what I think of as, like, deep pair bonding type of relationships of all kinds, right? Like, I I tend to have really close one-on-one relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's been an interesting learning lesson to – Uh, how do I want to say this, have friendships of like varying intensities. Like it used to, for me, Mm -hmm. like we were either completely best friends or not friends at all, right? I didn't Mm -hmm. really have like a middle ground for that and I wasn't really interested. And I feel like as far as friendship goes, if I look at the last six years of my life, it's it's been learning how to have and appreciate and find joy in relationships where Maybe the only thing you do together is like have a weekly writing date or maybe it's, you know, you hike together once every couple of months or that like not every relationship has to be this like deep soul friendship in order for it to have a lot of value and bring joy to your life. Totally. Yes. So moving, you know, you just talked about sort of like friendship, high school that time. How do you feel like the role of friendships in your life changed as an adult? I mean, it sounds like maybe around age 20, there was like a more, I guess, like distinct change for you. Yeah, I think, well, when I was 20, I realized I was queer, which did kind of shift the way my life had been going for a variety of reasons. I think something that stood out to me kind of while you were just saying the way your friendship shifted about like being a group when you were in school and then like having more individual friendships now, I feel like all my answers, I'm like, this is going to sound kind of political, but like, I guess, I don't know, life is political, right? Like, yes, everything is political. Go for it. Yeah. Political. Um, I know I I sent you the essay that I recently wrote for. I mean, it, I didn't even really think of it as an essay. Like I wrote the like how to like be a good friend to your friends, like um, for Autostraddle. And I referenced in that piece the Dean Spade essay that I love so much. Um, is it called for lovers and fighters? You'll link it, but yeah. it's it's amazing. I read it in college, and it kind of changed my whole worldview. And it's ostensibly kind of about polyamory. Like, that was the context in which I read it in. A friend of mine was like, you should read this. It, like, helped me clarify my thoughts on, like, monogamy and polyamory. But the paragraph that really, like, kind of, like, you know, burned itself into my brain and I think informed the way I started to live my life from that moment forward is about friendship and friends and investing in our friends, you know, and Dean Spade says, essentially, you know, treat your friends like your lovers and your lovers like your friends. And what he says that means is, you know, invest in your friendships. I think that's kind of like my, my mission statement in life, right? Like invest in your friends in the way capitalist heteropatriarchy has told us that we're only supposed to invest in the nuclear family of our making and like take your friends out on dates, like plan for the future with them, like treat them like they're as important as your 
spouse, right? Because they are often, or they should be. And the way that at least, you know, society in the United States wants, wants most of us to live is kind of like, you get older, you don't have that friend group anymore. You meet like, quote, the one and you get married and you buy a house together and you like sequester yourselves into this like like two person space. And then maybe you have like one to three offspring um, and like a dog. Uh, And that would be kind of like, you know, like the 1950s American ideal. And it doesn't, it doesn't make space for friendship. It definitely doesn't give like cis men, you know, like the person in the husband role, a space to have deep friendship outside of like, you know, go and fishing with the boys over the weekend. And it doesn't really give women or like, quote, like, like, right, like this is like a really hetero picture that I'm painting. But I think like that is what like our capitalist world would like most ideally want, because then they can kind of like have you focusing on these things and, um, and kind of buying into it, literally spending your money on this space. And I think the thing for me that like coming out as queer and being queer really like shifted the, the whole way my brain worked is that I was suddenly seeing a lot of models of um, relationship and care that just couldn't align with this, right? Like um, it just, first of all, legally, like the United States has sort of like historically made it so queer people can't be doing that. And then also just desire wise, like the queer people I was meeting were very political and they were very much like interrogating the ways our relationships to one another can be political and can really kind of like fuck with the system and also provide us like joy and care that society has not been particularly interested in us having. So, so to go back to that essay, you know, treating your friends like lovers, like investing in them. And then the flip side is kind of like treating your lovers like friends and um, not just making assumptions that because you're in a monogamous partnership with somebody, they are going to like be with you forever so you can treat them like shit. And if you're having a bad day, you can come home and just kind of be like shitty to them. Like, would you do that to a friend? Like if you had a coffee date with a friend, would you just go and like be your worst self because you're like, oh, they're never going to leave me. Like, no, you know, we, we kind of have different boundaries around different people. And I think that essay made me and like my like baby little, like 20 year old just come out as queer brain, start rethinking the boundaries we have with different people and the expectations we have with different people and like care models, essentially. Like I've been single for the past year and a half and I've mostly felt very cared for even though I don't have a primary like romantic partner right now because I have those care structures in place with my friends. And I feel like I've been talking for a long time and have kind of like lost the point of your original question. But those are some of my thoughts that like hopefully answered your question. Yeah, no, I love this. I mean, and I want to dig deeper into this idea of dating your friends. And so I feel like you gave a really good overview of what that, you know, what that means and specifically like what it means to you from like, yeah, like an overview, like bird's eye perspective. Can you share some specifics? I mean, and they might even be, I'll link to the essay, obviously, but they might even be, you know, some of the things that you wrote about in that piece. But I'd love to get more specific into examples of like what this looks like in your life. Yeah. So I lived in Portland for four years. I'm currently on the East Coast for grad school, but like very much still rooted in Portland and hope to come back. So a lot of my best friends live in Portland And I would say, like, very seriously, we 
date each other. And I am practicing non-monogamy at this point in my life. I haven't always, but like right now, that is the structure that makes sense for me. So I I don't mean it in that way. Like I, I am coming at my life from a lens of like romantically dating non-monogamously. But even when I was in monogamous partnerships with like my ex-girlfriend or like my girlfriend before that, um, I was very much dating my friends. And that like in a very literal sense means like making intentional one-on-one or like, you know, a three person, even though my mom was like three is a bad number. It's not, um, you know, but like dates with my friends, like just a couple of nights ago, my best friend here had just gotten back from like an eight day vacation. I hadn't seen her in a while. She's been going through some like personal stuff. I wanted to check in with her. She hadn't seen me. I had just been on a week long, like writing conference that was really magical and life-changing. And we were like, wow, okay, like we have to, I'm in Portland right now. Like we should get together. We should have some intentional one-on-one time. So literally at like 9 p.m. two nights ago, I went over to her house. She has like a beautiful yard space where she like grows a gorgeous garden. So it felt like very intentional and like a very like beautiful, magical environment that like she has cultivated for herself in her life. And like I got there and she had bought all these delicious snacks and opened the door in this like beautiful dress holding two mugs of rosé. And she was like, hi, like, welcome. How are you? And we were on a date. And I think like a lot of times people say like, oh, like a friend date. And that's, that's fine. Like semantically, it's fine to like clarify, but like objectively your friend dates shouldn't feel different in like levels of care and intention than your romantic dates. In my perspective, I think that we've all been like sold this shitty idea that we should be putting like X amount of energy into like romance and like finding like our future spouse or like, you know, our future like kids, other parent or like the one. And, and even people who are kind of like, you know, feminist minded or kind of, um, I think just like pragmatic and thinking like there's not the one. There are like many people who you could work with. I don't don't think it's their fault. I think they get really like beaten down by this narrative in society of like your worth if you have a partner versus if you don't or like what might like fill the like vast void of loneliness that we all have inside of us if you like have a partner or you don't. And I guess kind of like the epiphany moment for me was like, oh, my friend's do that work. Like the friendship relationships that I invest in make me feel seen and held and desired and not alone and not lonely and like really cared for in some like specific ways. Like again, I'm in Portland right now. I was here for a writing workshop. Most of my best friends are here because this is kind of like where my life was situated for a long time. And on like night three of the writing workshop, I was like, fuck, I think I have a yeast infection, which is an unfortunate theme of my life that could be like 17 podcast episodes on their own. Um, but you know, I was like, what am I going to do? And I looked up and there was like an urgent care situation. And I was like, Oh, like, I can't believe I have to like take a lift to urgent care, probably pay like an exorbitant amount of money to get my vagina swabbed and then like take a lift back. Like this sucks. And one of my best friends had texted me earlier to be like, what are you doing? And I was like, I know I'm in Portland, but I'm at this writer's conference. Like, I really can't, like, hang. Like, I need to be, like, investing my energy into, like, this space right now. And she was like, totally understand. Love you. And I texted her, and I was like, well, are you still free? And she was like, yeah, what's up? And I was like, would you drive to this college campus, which is, like, 20 minutes away from your house, 
take me to urgent care, like wait with me while we do this, maybe take me to the drugstore to like buy something for this if it's still open and then take me back. Like I realized this is like not a cute, fun friend date, but like, are you available for that? And she was like, yeah, obviously I'll be right there. You know? And then she came and picked me up. We like went and like picked up her partner from her serving job, which she just finished up at. We went to urgent care. She came into the room with me and like held my hand and like rubbed my head while this doctor like swabbed me. She like made jokes. It was like very relaxing and fine. She waited for me while I like settled the bill and everything. And then she drove me back to campus. And I was like, you know, do you want to get a drink or something? And she was like, honestly, it's a work night. I'm really tired. And I was like, totally understand. No worries. And then she and her partner drove home. And like, that was not fun. That was not like a sexy, exciting, like fun thing to do. But she just did it. And I would have done it for her. And I think like, when we think about our friends as kind of like, our support network and like our lifelines and like our care connections and like our family. Right. Cause I was thinking to myself, like I was almost crying while she was driving me home because I was just like, I am a single person. And like, I like am dating some people right now, but like, I, I don't have like that partner. Like, I don't think my life is ever going to look like my mom and my dad's life where like, they kind of like are a pair, like that's it. But like, I have this like really beautiful, like, incredible support network anyway that I invest in and that invests back in me. And I don't know, like it makes me emotional. Like I like feel like I could start crying talking about it now because it's just like, I've made that choice to make sure that my friends feel like really valued and really valuable to me. And they have shown me that like the same is true for them. And we're creating like care structures in the world that society for me definitely growing up like did not tell me was available and like did not celebrate and did not really support and I think like to me like that's what friendship is and that's why it's important and that's why like investing in it is important to me because it makes me feel like whole yeah I mean I think that so much of what you just shared was like such beautiful stories and I think it really touches on this idea I think on the surface, everyone would say like, oh, yeah, like good relationships take work, right? Like I think that's like that mm-hmm. type of like line is thrown around a lot. And I'm always interested in digging into what that work actually looks like and what that effort actually looks like. And sometimes I think it's harder than other times. Sometimes I think doing the work is fun. And, you know, I, but in general, I think it the good relationships of any kind don't happen by accident for the most part, right? And so obviously you keep using the word investing, right? Like making investments in these things. And I think like I get a lot of questions from people about this of how do you find these people? How do you make the friends? You know, I've heard a lot from folks who are, who want to have kind of deeper relationships and just feel like they're not able to do anything past connecting kind of small talk surface level with people. They're not finding people that they feel like they can have that like real talk with and not that either of us are going to have magic answers to any of those things, but sort of along those lines of, you know, when you're meeting someone like making new friends, right? Because I think it's sometimes different if it's someone that's been in your life for 10 years, right? You're not really Mm -hmm. necessarily thinking of doing the work maybe in the same way. But when it's someone new, what does it look like for you? And I know there's not like a script that you follow, but investing in sort of a relationship like from scratch. Can you just because I think it's, it's helpful even if your situation and your friendships look different than, you know, any number of people who are listening or than mine or whatever, I think it's really helpful to hear the specifics of how people go about things. Yeah, that's a really good question. Something I think about a lot. 
because people ask me about it a lot. I think I'm like very vocal about how much my friendships matter to me. So I do think like sometimes people gravitate to me and they're like, okay, like how to how? And I'm like, well, huh. Okay. Like what, what is the answer to that? And actually I, my little brother and I will sometimes talk and I'll try to help him think about like how to make new friends or how to find community. And I actually notice in myself, like the spot of it being challenging because my answer to so many things is like, we'll go to this queer event. And like, my brother's not queer. So that's not (laughs) productive for him. But the more, the more I've kind of like thought about it and thought about like how I found like my people is when I do feel a spark with someone in the same way that like you would talk about romantically dating somebody. But like when I feel a friendship spark with someone, I try to gauge if like they're also feeling it. Right. Cause like sometimes it's one-sided and then I kind of try to gauge like what my next step can be to, to making the friendship more right. Like when you and I met, it could have just been like a fun one-off weekend. And I could have been like, cool, I really connect with this person. Like that was fun. And then we could have dropped off. And like, I probably would have like followed you on Instagram and like liked your posts sometimes. And like, that would have been that. But I felt a connection with you. And I had a feeling you also felt it with me because we're both very vocal, direct people. And you were like, I feel this. And I was like, cool, yeah, I was like, too. I like you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like, of course, that's not how everybody is. But like in that instance, like it did feel mutual. And so so we kept reaching out, right? Like we we exchanged phone numbers, we texted. I I told you I wanted to come visit you in Bend and then I came to visit you in Bend. You know, I think everyone as an adult is busy and everyone has like a million things going on. You know, like I know my friends who are parents have wild to-do lists and I know my friends who own their own businesses have those same wild to-do lists and like Some of my friends who are parents also own their own businesses or like work a bunch of different jobs or, you know, like everybody is at capacity. And I think if like finding friendship or deepening your current friendships or making new friends is a priority, then we should all prioritize it. So like, again, like you're a very busy person. I'm a very busy person. I don't think we had an easy time finding that weekend that I was going to come visit you, but we really wanted to. So we did. And I think that's kind of like, not shitty advice, but it's kind of like maybe basic advice. Like, oh, if you want to do this thing, do it. But like my friend Hadley, um, we always joke that like I took the lead in our friendship because they are pretty shy. Um, and I always tease them that like, they're very beautiful. So they seem intimidating and like, they're actually shy. And I think that's like relatable for a lot of people. They'll be like, I'm very shy. And everyone else is like, you're incredibly intimidating. And they're like, I'm literally just trying to be invisible. (laughs) Um, but when I met Hadley, I just, I felt that friendship spark, you know, and it, it wasn't a romantic spark. It was like, uh, this person is so cool and I really want to get to know them better. And I was brand new in Portland at the time and had actually kind of moved to Portland for my then girlfriend. So felt very aware that I wanted to be kind of like forging some of my own friendships and making like a little bit of like a support system that existed outside of my partnership with my then girlfriend and also outside of like her group of friends. Like I didn't just want to like slot myself into her life. I wanted in my head, I was like, if you move to a new city, 
for a girl, which is something that you always said you would never do, but you really love this person. So like you're going to, um, you have to promise yourself to make your own life there so that if you break up, which like eventually we did, you will be okay. You will not be like entirely unmoored and like alone in this city where like you've like made this one person the center of your world. So in that time, like when I met Hadley, I was just like, this person could be a very close friend to me. And now they are one of my closest friends. And they were definitely like a hard person to get to know, you know, like they weren't as warm as I was. They had walls up. They were kind of like, I think like suspicious of me a little. They were like, who is this like very bubbly East Coast person who's like, I want to be your friend. And I'm like, you know, ah, like, who are you? And I remember like one of the first times we hung out, there was going to be a party that weekend. And I was like, what's your favorite sweet treat? Like, I'm going to bring you something to this party. And they were like, oh, like, I I don't really like sweet treats. And I was like, okay, like, what's your favorite food? Like, what would you want to eat? And they were like, oh, I love blueberries. And I was like, okay. And I went to the grocery store that morning and I bought like a huge thing of blueberries. And when I got to the party, I like went up to Hadley and I was like, hey, did you want to eat some blueberries with me? And I think they were just like, who is this person? But now we laugh about it because they were just like, honestly, it was like really sweet. And like, I was standoffish. Like I didn't know at the time, obviously, because I didn't know them, but they'd had like a huge friend breakup recently and were like very genuinely suspicious of like love and care and like anybody kind of like wanting to be in relationship with them in any way. But I just had a feeling. I was just like, I get a good vibe from this person. Like when we talk, I feel like we are understanding each other and we're very different. Like Hadley and I are like not similar, but we, there was just something there. And so I think like, you know, kind of like courting your friends, not in a creepy way. Right. But just like in the way that you would court a new date, it's just, it's so frustrating to me that we have only been given this one narrative about like a way in which you would want to bring a new person into your life. And it's a romantic way. And it's like a monogamous romantic way that's like leading to like marriage and like a house and a baby. And I know things are changing a little bit, um, at least like in my friend group, even with my straight friends, like not everybody is like looking for like exactly that, but it does still feel like the dominant narrative in the United States is like, of course you would be working towards this. And I think we can do that with friends, right? Like bringing blueberries to a new friend at a party that you're both going to be at, if that friend has told you that their favorite snack in the world is blueberries, is not creepy. If that person like didn't want to be your friend, they could just be like, thanks, that's so nice. And like, you know, you wouldn't be like, you have to sign a friendship contract with me because I brought you these blueberries. It's transactional. It's just like you going the extra mile. It's you being like, oh, this thing seemed to like matter to this person or like could be interesting to this person or like, all the same advice we give people about how to romantically date people, we can do when we meet new friends. So I yeah. think like in terms of like meeting people, you know, if you feel that spark, think about like a way in which you can continue that connection. And if the person isn't available for that, then like that can feel like hurtful and sad, but it's okay. Like there are more friends in the world. Like you will find somebody else who does want that connection with you. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, so much of what you're speaking to, this idea that oftentimes I think that friendship can seem daunting and like, what do I do? How do I make new friends? How, uh, and to your point, like we have a lot of the tools and the scripts already. It's just in a romantic context, right? Like you mm-hmm. think about, and not to say that dating is easy by any means, right? Like that's fraught with its <laughs> own things. But, totally. you know, this idea of, okay, what getting to know this person, what would like make them smile, this little thing, and I write them this cute note and I, you know, take mm-hmm. time, like you said about your friend, like wearing the beautiful dress. Dress, right? Like I take time to care, not that everything's about what you look like, of course, but that you like put effort into the encounter and you plan something fun and you like all of those things I think are things that would come relatively quickly to someone's mind when they think about dating. All of those things mm-hmm. can just as easily apply to friendship, right? Which like is, is certainly what you're saying. And I think the other thing I'm taking from what you're saying that I think about a lot too is this idea of how many problems or like frustrations could be solved with relatively direct communication, which again is sometimes easier said than actually done. But this idea of like, hey, I like you. Do you want to be my friend? Right. Maybe it's not mm-hmm. as kind of kindergarten circle yes or no as that. But I do think that it is refreshing to be able to have those kind of conversations because like you said, maybe that person isn't uh, available for friendship, right? Or doesn't have the capacity or, you know, isn't mm-hmm. looking for what you're looking for. Like the types of conversations that we would more naturally have with dating, right? Like communicating needs and expectations, I think oftentimes doesn't traditionally happen in friendships. And some of the conversations that I've been having with people lately around this topic, especially when folks are saying that they really are craving more friendship is sort of the discussion of what, why do you want friends? Which seems mm-hmm. like maybe a strange question, but is it because you've been told that your life's supposed to look like sex in the city, right? Is it because <laughs> you want someone to take you to the urgent care? Is it because you want, really, like, and there's lots of different reasons why someone mm-hmm. would want friendships of different kinds, but like I was never even taught to think about that, right? Like you're just supposed to have friends and it's supposed to look this way or, you know, you see what's modeled around you or in pop culture, you know, and things like that. And to actually stop and be like, where am I at in my life? What do I have the emotional capacity to offer as a friend? Mm -hmm. What are like the needs that I'm hoping to be met? Not in a transactional context, obviously, like you mentioned, but just being aware Like, I think people understand that I'm not in a place where I have time or space for dating, right? Like, that's something that I hear people say all the time. And, you know, then the opposite of where does that come into play with friendship and what does that look like? And there aren't any easy answers to any of this, but I'm, like, really in a place where I'm interested in more direct communication and even, like, check-in conversations. Like, how is this friendship going for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Or just, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think – Yes. Everything you just said a hundred times. Yes. Um, I think just like if we stop and look at our life, like bird's eye view and everything is just, um, like every interaction we have with another human is a connection or like an interaction or a relationship. And we're not prioritizing like romantic relationships above friendship. If we can kind of like get to a place where like they don't need to be on the exact same page all the time. Everyone has different things. Like I would say probably like my friendships are more important than like any romantic relationships I'm pursuing. And maybe that's different for different people. But if we can just be like using, like you said, like people have toolkits for these things. We just aren't taught to think of friendships as like relationships. And, you know, you often hear those like cliches of like, oh, that person's on like relationship island right now. Or like, oh, whenever so-and-so gets a girlfriend, like they like drop off for a while and it feels bad. And, and we can have space in our hearts for like people having to prioritize different things. And like sometimes prioritizing work or sometimes prioritizing their kid or sometimes prioritizing their romantic relationship. But I've 
whenever I've been in a romantic relationship, I've always had like very clear boundaries that like if a friend needs me, I'm not going to like default to like watching TV on the couch with you because that's what we do every Tuesday evening just because we're in a romantic relationship if my friend like needs me. Vice versa, if a partner really needs me and a friend's just like, come get a drink, I would probably be like, no, like tonight's not the right night or like I really need to spend this weekend like focusing on like this person, but just like not making like arbitrary prioritization of romance or like romantic connections, no matter how deep or casual they are over friendship just because like being really intentional about like who we're making space for and like who we're caring for and who's caring for us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think one of the frustrations that I hear in this context is around the idea of like, how do you meet the people, right? Which I think is mm-hmm. true for anything. How do you meet the people for anything, right? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. looking at, I I have sort of come to, it takes longer than I want it to. Like both in yeah. terms of, you know, because I think sort of the the low hanging fruit answer is like, be in spaces that you want to be in and hopefully you will meet people who either share similar interests, right, or have similar politics or whatever that is, right, going mm-hmm. to going to events or going to things. And I think whether that's online or in person or any of like, there's lots of different ways to approach it. And also it's not like I'm going to walk into one thing that's related to my interests and like find, you know, five definite friends that like it takes building relationships takes time and it takes energy and it takes being willing to do sort of that follow-up work, like you said, and be mutually invested. And I think some of the frustration comes from maybe this fantasy that friendship is supposed to be easier than it is, maybe. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And like, you know, meeting someone and like thinking they're so cool and then like your schedules don't line up. So like you actually can't hang out for six months. You know, like I, I have people who I'm like, I hope we become closer friends and we might and we might not. But like I have like, you know, dates who I'm like, I hope that like we deepen our connection and we might and we might not. So yeah, I def- I like what you said about putting yourself in the spaces that you want to be in. I do think like a lot of my very close friendships have come and I'm an extroverted person and I am like fairly confident in like social situations. So I do know that that kind of like gives me, you know, like uh, obviously someone who's like less extroverted and less comfortable in social situations, that's harder. But I do still push myself outside of my comfort zone. Like a lot of my very deep friendships came from going to a camp, which is like a queer adult summer camp that Autostraddle puts on. Um, And eventually I was hired to work at Autostraddle and hired to staff a camp. So now like that is a huge part of my friend group is like other folks who I work with in that context. But I first went to a camp as a camper and that's so scary to go to like a 400 person queer adult summer camp away from home for five days. Like that's terrifying. But like over and over and over, we hear from campers who range in age from like 18 to like 60 that they have made like lifelong friends there or Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, camp's been going on since 2012. So X amount of year-long friends who they perceive will continue to be lifelong friends. And even this like writing workshop I just went to, it was like, I was thinking of it very much in like a professional context. And then I got there and I was surrounded by like other writers who care deeply about the same things that I care about. And I was like, oh, I totally am going to make professional connections here. I'm also making friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm a big fan of like going to things. Like people put on these events to bring like-minded people. And obviously there are like 
barriers, like travel barriers or financial barriers. Like I understand it's not possible for everyone, but there's usually something local or something like, even if it's just when my brother and I troubleshoot, um, because I'm like, okay, right. You're not a queer woman. So I can't just tell you to go to like X, Y, Z event in Boston that like I'm interested in because that's like not your demographic. You definitely shouldn't take up space there. But like, where could you go? You know, like I think about his interests and like, he's such a bookworm. So I try to think about like, you know, libraries or bookstores or readings or like Boston is such like an academic city, like what free events do colleges put on for like the general public? Like where, like pinpoint your interests and where could you go that other people have those same interests? Maybe it's like fishing at your local pond. Maybe it's like going for a run around a park and like seeing like who is friendly with their dog, right? Like, I don't know. I just think they're, I, I I am 30 and I love the internet and I grew up with my phone, so I don't want to come across as like, get off your phone. And I think actually we can all make like a lot of amazing friendships and connections online. But if people are more looking for like kind of like IRL, like immediate, like in their vicinity friendship, I do think like how often do we like sit at a cafe just like on our phone for half an hour versus like if you were sitting there with like a book or your journal or even just like staring into space, like might you see someone who like you could have like a connecting moment with? Maybe, maybe not, but just kind of putting that, you said, you know, thinking about, um, what you're able to give right now and like why you want friends. If you want friends to like go do activities with, go do those activities and see other solo people who are out there doing those activities and like see if like a friendship is there. If you want friends who you can kind of like, you know, really um, talk about the experience of like being a queer person or if like you're like a person of color and you want to talk about like specific experiences about that or like, you know, if you're going through a divorce and you want to talk to other people who are going through divorces, sometimes being online can be the most helpful thing. You know, like I think there's a lot of positive on the internet as well as negative. And for me, like some of my deep relationships don't happen in real life space. They do happen kind of like in texts and less in emails. Now I used to write like really long involved emails to my faraway friends. I feel like email has just been like totally ruined for all of us. And it like never feels good to see that you have an email anymore, (laughs) but you know, like tweets or DMs or just there, there are so many ways to have so many different kinds of relationships that I do think if we start thinking about like why we want them and what kinds we want and like how we can be putting in the work to make that happen and then really like connect with other people. I, I guess that's the question. It's like, how do you connect with those people? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if I have an answer to that and that, that feels bad. I want to be able to like prescriptively be like, this is how you would do it. But, but I think knowing that other people are out there, like also wanting that kind of makes me feel happier at least. And I mean, probably even through your podcast, I don't know how much people, you know, can interact via like the Patreon or via, but like, even if you're like in someone's like comments on Instagram and someone says something like cute or funny or interesting to you, like follow that person, like send them a DM and be like, I really liked that thing you said, like that was smart. Like that made me feel less alone. Thank you. I don't know. I'm, I'm always into like verbally telling people if they have made me feel like good and less alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that is how like some of my friendships, especially my online friendships have been created. Cause I don't know, we all feel alone and weird. So it's really nice when someone is like, 
I feel weird in the same way that I think you feel weird. Yeah, totally, totally. Now, I mean, obviously, it's like the entire like through line of most of my work, so I clearly agree with that. But <laughs> I, I've been thinking about this a lot, sort of the in creating intentional spaces, right? Or like, what are the gatherings at which, you know, actual relationships and, and stuff can foster? Honestly, specifically on the heels of last year doing a lot of hosting a lot of kind of one day live events, and then this year mm-hmm. doing a series of retreats. And it's really interesting being the person who's creating the container, right? For mm-hmm. exactly the type of stuff that we're talking about. And at a couple of the retreats, we've had interesting conversations sort of about friendship, about, you know, why is it so easy to fall into like meaningful conversations? conversations and, you know, uh, at these events and stuff, people have made, you know, actual deep friendships, right? Which of course mm-hmm. like brings me a lot of joy for sure. And kind of picking apart why that is and why it feels so much easier. And kind of one of the things that I've come to, and you spoke to this one talking about a camp and similar things is like, and yeah, if you, if you do have the time off work, if you do have the financial means to go to something and it certainly doesn't have to be, you know, a high price point retreat or something like that, but immersive experiences where the container is created for you to make friends essentially can be Mm -hmm. really helpful because, you know, sure, if you're out alone doing an activity and you see someone else alone doing that activity, sometimes it can be really intimidating to, you know, talk to this random person. That doesn't mean don't do it. And I think that works, you know, well for other people, some people than others. But I've been thinking a lot about, you know, how can we make things easier for ourselves? Like if we want to have honest conversations about things that really matter to us. I think everyone who listens to this podcast, like that's something that they have in common. Every single person who comes to one of my live events or retreats, like that's really what they're looking for. And so it's funny, you know, in having pre-retreat phone calls with people who are nervous, are they going to make friends? Are they going to feel weird? Right. Which is again, like the total human experience Mm -hmm. of, you know, will people like me? And I always remind people, okay, maybe you won't make your best friend ever, but every single person who's coming wants the exact same thing that you want. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, I've been trying to push myself. Maybe it's not just just join a book club, right? Like, sure, you can meet people through book club, but like thinking about are there events of and and maybe you have to get creative or maybe you're creating it yourself. I don't know what the answer is, but where like sort of the rules of engagement are for this type of connection. And I think mm-hmm. immersive experiences provide that in sometimes a way that like one-off things, or at least it speeds it up, right? And like having someone yeah. else create that container for you um, is something that I've been thinking about a lot of like, what does it look like to put together intentional gatherings and you know maybe that's something that someone does themselves like I I think I've also been thinking a lot about how you know so many folks say that they want to have like deeper connections or more investment in friendship a little bit I think there's the vulnerability of you have to be the first one maybe that's Mm -hmm. trying to deepen existing relationships by being like hey this might be a kind of a strange topic, but can we talk about money or can we talk about, you know, like whatever the thing is yeah. that you really want to talk about. And sure, maybe some folks in your life won't be receptive to that, but I'd argue like a lot of people are craving this. And as soon as someone's willing to sort of break the seal a little bit on that, I think I have heard from folks that it can be surprising and like almost a relief that someone's like, oh, thank God we're talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny. I'm like thinking back to your first question to me about like nudes. I don't know that everyone who I make new friends with has the friend who's like, oh yeah, like, do you want to talk about nudes? But whenever it ends up coming up, like if we're talking about like nakedness or nudity or sex or like anything like that, and obviously like different people have different ways of like wanting to interact with that. And like, I think it's extremely reasonable and like 
fair for someone to be like, that makes me uncomfortable or like, no, thank you. Like, I definitely don't want to participate in a group chat where like, I look at all of your naked bodies or I share mine. That sounds horrifying. And like, that's fine too. That's part of friendship, like finding those middle grounds. But a lot of times, because I am the way I am, I'm that friend who's like, oh, I was thinking about masturbating the other day. And everyone's like, oh my God, I've like never had a situation where like somebody is like, just opened the conversation that way. Like, yes, I have wanted to talk about that also. So I think there is kind of like, I mean, again, I, I, I understand that I am a specific kind of person who like feels fine sitting down at a table of people who I met like two days earlier and being like, okay, so my yeast infection and also like, you know, and not everyone is like going to feel comfortable doing that. But I do think like I have rarely felt, um, shot down when I try to be vulnerable, I guess is the thing. Um, and that's kind of like exactly what you just said with like money or like anything, like we are all human. Like we are all trying to have, most of us are trying to have experiences where we connect with other people. It is like, so a lot of times when I give my friends dating advice, I'm just like, rejection is fine because then you can just move on. Like if somebody rejects you, that's great because you're like, okay, like actually you aren't interested in me in the same way that I was interested in you. And like, that is like, I can take all the brain space I was using wondering like, does he, doesn't he, does she, doesn't she, like, do they, et cetera. Like, no, um, we can just move right along and like open myself up to different things. So like, if you're having a friendship thing where you're like, oh, I wonder if I could be vulnerable with this person. And like, you try and they're like, no, thank you. That's actually great. Then like, that's not your friend to be vulnerable with in that way. Like, that's not your group chat nude friend. That's not your like deep heart bond conversation about like all the vulnerable things you're feeling. Like, Maybe that's your friend who you go on a run with once a week or like you go to book club or you literally just like sit in silence at the coffee shop and like you each like write on your computers and it feels nice. It doesn't mean that person's bad. It doesn't mean they're like not your friend. It's just like, okay, that's not your person to do like this kind of work with. Um, Mm -hmm. And the sooner you can realize who those people are in your life and who like, like where people kind of fit in like the vast constellation of all of our friends, the more you can be like, oh, I actually do need a friend who I can do like casual random errands with like that. That's something I'm looking for. And like, it doesn't matter if we can be vulnerable together. I want us to like share gas money to like go do this errand once a week um, versus like, Oh, I really am missing that space to have like these deep conversations with a person. So like I should be on the lookout for someone who's available to do that kind of like emotional work with me, um, you know, consensually equally together so that that's the kind of relationship I'm building. Mm-hmm. So pivoting a little bit, I'd love to hear a specific example and not necessarily specific of like, tell me about the person, because that's not what I mean, but where you navigated like a changing or fading friendship, not necessarily in the context of like an abrupt friend breakup where something happened or something was wrong, which obviously that's, of course, something we could also talk about. But I'm, I've been really thinking a lot lately about how like not every relationship is forever. And this has come up a bunch Mm. on the podcast, right? And, you know, maybe it's a friend where you used to have a lot of, you know, circumstantial stuff in common or similar interests, or you're in like a really similar place in your lives. And then maybe that changes, right? Whether it's someone has kids or someone isn't, it's not to say you can't continue to maintain friendships with people who are in different life circumstances. Of course that you can, but sometimes there is that natural fade that I think more often than not, there isn't communication around. And I'm interested Mm -hmm. for you, what has it been like when that's happened? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause of course, like, as you were asking the question, I immediately thought about like, you know, like really intense, like friend breakups, which are kind of their own thing. But I think 
an older friend of mine, a friend who's in her 60s, told me that, um, you know, your life has seasons. And I love that. And also it's like a lyric and landslide, right? Um, <laughs> can I handle the seasons of my life? I, th- I think that's the lyric. Anyway, um, I think that's really helped me just think about realistic expectations of my life. Like, it's okay to have some things be really meaningful to you at some times, and then they kind of fade into the background for a little. And, like, it... I don't think social media helps. I think it's, like, it may, maybe it used to feel less bad or, like, maybe it used to feel less strange um, to have sort of, like, some people fade away at times and then, like, if they came back up, that felt nice. But, like, they could also fade into the distance and, like, that would be okay. And now we kind of have, like, everybody's everything. Like, if you go on, like, two dates with someone and they add you on Instagram, you're, like, forced to, like, either mute their story or, like, experience little clips of their life, like, until we die. Like, I don't I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced social media is, like, helping any of us with the idea that, like, we don't need to fit every single human we've ever met into our pocket at all times. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean... Like, <sighs> Everyone's experiencing their own thing every single day. So, like, you can have one close friend. You can have 70 close friends. There are going to be days when you wake up and, like, you don't have capacity to text with any of your friends. And whether you have one person who you always text with or, like, literally, like, 16 group chats, you just don't have capacity for that in that day. Or, like, you need to prioritize work. You need to prioritize one specific friend or like one family member or like if you're someone where like friends are family like could be the same person and I think I have a really hard time with this because I'm like I love all my friends I want everybody to like feel my like deep love for them at all times and a friend recently I had to like cancel plans and I was so stressed about it I was like they're gonna be mad I told them yes and like now like it's not gonna work and it was for a work-related reason like I, I have to cancel these plans I kind of And a different friend of mine was like, babe, I don't mean to like make you feel bad, but like literally no one cares. Like (laughs) you're like, you know, like basically in a nicer way. She was kind of like, you're not that special. Like you're not like, you know, like (laughs) it's fine. Like, yes, like so-and-so loves you. And like, I'm sure they'll be like minorly disappointed that like you were going to do this thing together and now you're not going to. But like they have their own life. They have their own stuff. Like they have a partner. They have a dog. Like they'll be fine. They'll find a way to like fill their day that like isn't you. And like, it's fine. You're being weird about this. Like they're not going to be weird about this. Like this is a you thing. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, yeah, of course, if somebody cancels plans with me, like sure. Sometimes I'm really disappointed if it was something that like I really wanted to do or like a friend who I haven't seen in a long time or like sometimes like a friend is really unavailable for like a long time. Like maybe they're planning a wedding or maybe like they have a lot of work stuff going on or, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's none of my business. Sometimes I don't know why they're unavailable, but it's just like, it can feel disappointing and like hard, but like ultimately like it's fine. Like we all are at different places at different times and like that's okay. And the cool thing about friendship that is like a little different than the way we structure, um, like romantic relationship expectations in our lives is I feel like a lot of times with romantic dating, um, 
unless you're very intentional about it. It's kind of like when an end happens, it usually is like a hard stop. Like it is, mm, queer community is a little different around this. Like, I don't know how many like people who listen to your podcast are queer versus straight. I admittedly queer people have, um, you know, both like a really beautiful way of kind of remaining friends with our exes and like reintegrating into community and also like often like terrible boundaries and like really like messy breakups and kind of like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) that's probably its own podcast episode, (laughs) but I guess, um, I guess I just find it nice with friendship that like, it's often not a friend breakup. It's often not dramatic. It's just kind of like, Oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm going through like a bunch of like my own personal stuff and like, I can't really be as available and like accepting that that means that like that person might be less available for me when I kind of like roll around six months later and I'm like, whoa, my life is like so much less hectic. Like I'm down to like reinvest in this. Like they might be down too, but they also like, you know, might have different expectations about like what I can bring versus what they can bring. Um, and what they're kind of like willing to open up about if I like just ghosted for six months versus if I communicated and was like, Hey, this is like a really hectic time for me, but like, I do love you. And like, I do kind of still want to check in later, but it's also like, I find very easy to kind of like quickly check in with people who, who do matter to you. And I think we forget that sometimes like my mom and I lived on different coasts for a few years. I was on the West coast. She was on the East coast and it was somehow really hard to schedule phone calls. Like it just like when I was ready to talk, she was ready for bed. And when she wanted to talk, I was sort of like still immersed in my day and it was hard. Like, it was painful. It didn't feel good. Like, we didn't feel like we were connecting. And my mom is a close friend of mine. So I think this, like, is relevant to friendship also as well as, like, mother-daughter relationships. Um, and I realized that I was avoiding calling her because I was making the assumption that if I called her, she would want to talk on the phone for, like, 45 minutes or an hour. And I didn't have that time. I had, like, 10 minutes. And I felt like if I called and it was just a quick call, she would be disappointed But that was an assumption I was making. Like, that wasn't how she felt at all. And when we finally talked about it, like, probably in the context of, like, you know, like, a painful, sad, like, I feel like you don't care about me. Like, I feel like, you you know, that kind of conversation. I was like, oh, I'm just going to call you when I have a minute. And, like, if you have a minute, you should just call me. And, like, it can be a text. It can be a DM. It can be, like, a quick, like, photo. Like, if you, like, see something that reminds you of a friend, like, snap a picture and text it to them. Like the positives of technology are that like, you know, we're all always kind of like able to like quickly connect. And I think, I think putting expectations on ourselves about what we think people want from us versus like actually just being genuine and being like having a super busy day, but like thought of you, love you. And like that can feel really good to a person even if like, you know, you can kind of build it up in your head. Like, Oh, I don't have the time to put in. It's like, no, we all understand like every human is dealing with their own stuff. Everybody can fill a Sunday that you cancel plans with, like with their own stuff. So I think just, yeah, like little, if you want to actively fade out of someone's life, obviously I think like slow fading out of their life is a way to go having a frank conversation about it. If like you think it is like, you know, a best friendship that you want to end, that's like a little bit different of a scenario. But in general, with like the fading and the coming and the going, like, I like to think of like everybody around me as like a constellation of friends. And like, we're all moving in our own ways. And like, if you live in the same city as someone, 
obviously it's like more convenient to see them than if you live on opposite coasts and like just kind of getting okay with that. Like kind of like really like getting into the vibe that like our lives have seasons and like, it's okay. And like, maybe you're more friends with your parental friends. If you have a kid and you all have really young kids, that makes sense that you're not seeing your friends who you like used to go out partying with as much. Cause like, you're not doing that right now. And that doesn't mean those friends are gone. It's just like, right now you're not seeing them every Friday night. And like, mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, I'm very much in the place personally. It's funny to be having this conversation like at this time in my life where maybe it's not a coincidence and nothing's a coincidence, but <laughs> that, that I feel like I'm in a place of a lot of kind of reflection and reevaluation around this type of stuff, predominantly mm-hmm. like, because my life has changed so much, right? Like I lived in Bend for four years and had, you know, like in-person friend structures, right? And obviously that has changed quite a bit, both in terms of having moved into my tiny van and being on the road and just in general being less available. And one of the things, you know, I mentioned how positive all of these retreats were over the summer, but the essentially like what gave me the capacity energetically and like just logistically to be able to do that travel and that pace of retreat schedule was essentially putting like everything else in my life on hold, right? And so again, to your point of like, sometimes we're busier than other times, but one of the things that I've been thinking about in in light of having left there and it's not like I left there and moved to a new place where I'm going to put down roots and like I'm looking for a similar in-person community right now that I'm mm-hmm. sort of on the go more and one of the things that's popped up for me and thinking like oh I actually feel pretty lonely to be honest and yeah. thinking about first of all that's okay right like sometimes you feel lonely but mm-hmm. looking at sort of the why behind some of the changes and one of the things that I realized which once I realized it like it shouldn't have been a surprise to me I'm such like the hostess type in a lot of my relationships or friend groups, the one who's going to have people over for dinner or host the thing or organize the thing and not having a home in which to invite people to, right? It made me realize Mm -hmm. actually a lot of my friendships or a lot of my relationships sort of were I don't know like if founded on that but people sort of take on different roles in different relationships Mm -hmm. and if you're no longer willing or capable of filling that role it's been interesting to be like oh a lot of these relationships feel like they've stalled since I am not there and I'm not the one that can invite people to think right and so it's just like an interesting thing of okay when something is changed where are the relationships worth having a conversation of like okay this is different. Let's discuss, right? Like, what are we willing yeah. to do to have to continue a long distance relationship or not, right? Or acknowledging that some relationships are, hey, when we're in the same town at the same time, like, we'll definitely make time for each other because that's also valuable, right? There's some people that I don't talk mm-hmm. to that much, but every time we have the chance to see each other, we will rearrange our schedules to do it. And that's beautiful and lovely and maybe happens once a year or two, right? Yeah. And so it's just, there's like no right or wrong, I think, for any of these choices or decisions, but I'm very like personally getting a lot of comfort from what you're saying, just hearing someone else being honest about it. And also just having to do that reflective work for me of like, oh yeah, a lot of my friend situations have changed as Mm -hmm. a product of my choices. And it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that they don't care about me or that I don't care about them, but we have to find like a new way of being friends essentially. And so it's that question of like, where do I want to invest that energy? Where do I feel like maybe that's come to an end? I don't know. It's just like an interesting process to be in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like changing, like making a life change, often brings into clarity like stuff that like was probably happening below the surface anyway but suddenly there's a huge shift and you're like oh I need to actually like intentionally think about all this stuff okay got it yeah well and sort of looking at identity too of like how am I of value if I can't host 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is like, and obviously that's my one specific example, but I think for other people it's other things, right? And oh, like absolutely. the thing they think of that they pre- not predominantly bring to a relationship, but is something that they do. And that for some reason that's not an option anymore. Like, oh, huh, interesting. Then it kind of feels foreign if you can't occupy a role that you're very comfortable in. Yeah, I actually, I got dinner last night with three of like my very closest friends in Portland. And we were all saying like, we'd all kind of had bad days. Um, and we were at like our favorite pizza place and like it, which by the way is like red sauce pizza in Portland is the best pizza in Portland. If anyone like listening wants to go get pizza, that's where you should go. Um, but we were sitting there and we were like, this should be so fun. And like, it was fun obviously, but like we were all kind of down. And I said, I like realized I was like, um, I've been at school in New York for a year and I have another year of my program and I'm definitely making friends in New York. Like, I feel like I have people there who like, I love, like, I definitely, like, have some friendships there. But I was realizing I have this level of comfort with my friends who I've been friends with for years at this point, where, like, if you have a shitty day, you can all just kind of sit there and being like, yeah, like, what am I bringing to the table? Like, usually I'm, like, the fun, like, bouncy, excitable one. And, like, today I'm just kind of, like, meh. And that feels okay if you've, like, invested a lot of years in a friendship. But when you're making new friendships, there's kind of, like, this, um, not anxiety that it's too strong of a word, but like a nervousness of like, if I'm not on today or like, if I don't bring this specific thing to the table that this person like thinks I bring to the table, will they still like me? Will they still want to be my friend? Will they still be interested in like developing a deeper friendship? And I think that is why like, it's exciting to make new friends, but it also is important to me to kind of like always try to have like some friendships that like you've invested in for a long time because different things just feed you differently. Like, you know, like people talk about like new relationship energy with romantic relationships. There's totally that with friendships also, but it's also the same kind of like butterfly, like, oh, like what am I bringing? Like, yeah, like, and with your example, it's so interesting because it's presumably people who you have been friends with for quite a while when you were living in Bend, but then like being like, okay, if I'm not bringing this to the table, like how is our relationship going to shift? And I think just just always being aware that like a relationship is not a static thing. Like it's not something that you can just like leave there and hope that it stays good. It's something that like we should always be feeding in some way or acknowledge that like if we're not feeding it, it'll probably feel a little different than when we are actively feeding it. And like, are we okay with that? Or are we not okay with that? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's fine. And sometimes you're like, oh shoot, I really should get back to feeding that because like I kind of dropped the ball. Like I want to be feeding it. Yeah. So the last thing, I mean, there's so many other things that we could talk about, but um, and maybe we'll do that another time. But the last thing that I want to ask you before we wrap up is specifically in your friendships right now, what do you feel like it is that you're either investing in? Like, is there something where you're like, I'm really looking for this or like, this is a priority for me or um I don't know specifically what I'm asking, but sort of like the example that I just shared of, you know, something when it comes to friendship that I'm working through is, right, like reevaluating what happens when you change your life and like what happens with the relationships. What do you feel like maybe the main thing is that you're either questioning or investing in? Hmm. I think this has been true for a long time for me, and I think it remains true. I am really drawn to friendships with people who also want to prioritize friendship Mm. in their life. And that sounds maybe kind of basic, but I do think like there are people who don't or can't or 
won't like, you know, there's, it's kind of like we were talking about, like when you find your people, they're your people. And like, if they're not your people, that's okay. Like, it's like a good signpost that like, you're not going to connect and that's, that's okay. I feel really lucky in the context of like being in a queer community where it feels pretty like natural and like normal to talk about care and family in ways outside of like a monogamous marriage partner structure. But the friends who I feel closest with and like the kinds of friendship relationships that I'm most interested in like feeding and investing in are people who I feel like are going to be important in my life and um, make me feel important in their lives, regardless of what our specific like romantic situations are or like what like our choices. I, I feel like we're building a life together. I guess like to me, like my closest, deepest friendships are people where I genuinely feel like we're building a life together. And that that's what matters to me. I don't know. My friends are my family. I feel very lucky that I have the friends that I do. And I also feel like really excited that I live in like a time and space where, you know, even my, my one of my best friends is partnered. And when we talk about the future, like, and he talks about um, his partner, who's like also a good friend of mine, I don't feel excluded from their like familial narrative just because they are probably going to like honestly probably like buy a house and like have kids together and like that's wonderful for them but like I don't feel like I'm like second tier in his Mm -hmm. life because I'm not part of that narrative I feel like I am like part of his family and he is part of mine and whatever shape our life takes that will remain true and I think that's just like one example of a few like friends who I really feel that way about like we're we're each other's family and that that's the kind of friendship that I personally I'm most interested in. Mm, I love that. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up at least this part of the conversation. As you probably know, we end (laughs) these episodes with some rapid fire-ish community questions. Didn't do that last episode, but I'm bringing it back. So community questions are, of course, chosen by the community, the people in the Patreon community. And so if you are down to answer seven random questions... Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The first one I'm like very excited to ask you. Okay. Describe your current favorite outfit. What is making you feel most like yourself these days? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I discovered short overalls, which I guess could be called like short alls, but I would not like to talk about them that way. And they're just, um, I'm fat. So I shop a lot at Torrid and Torrid has these great like linen feeling short overalls that I like to wear with a crop top under them. And it is like chef's kiss. I love that. That's so good. Um, also, you tend to have really fantastic lipstick. Just going to give that shout out. Thank you. I'm really into NYX, like N-Y-X. I think you call it NYX. Purple Sway lipstick. It's just called Sway, and it's like this light purple, and it's their liquid suede line. That all sounds very sexy. <laughs> Thank you. What's one of the most impactful things that you've learned in the past year? Oh, my God. Uh, fuck. Mm, I think in the past year. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. It can be something you learned about yourself, about the way, just in general, what's something that's like really stuck with you? Totally. Um, I think this is an ongoing learning thing, but I think just thinking about how to not just be a good ally, but also how to become an accomplice in like decentering 
whiteness from spaces and decentering um, white supremacy, which is kind of just in the air in this country, at least, and learning that I am going to fuck up and I can't just like fuck up and then go like sit inside and be like, okay, I'm never going to speak again or I'm never going to engage again, but try to actually you know, kind of hold myself to the fire more, like have higher standards for myself and then make sure that I'm kind of like taking those standards for myself and holding people I love and people I care about, um, specifically kind of other white people around me to those standards also, and just engaging as opposed to kind of being like, oh, well, I'm not racist. So like, I can kind of like sit out in this conversation, kind of acknowledging the ways in which as a white person, like I actually have to very much not sit out all conversations about white supremacy, not in a way where I'm like speaking over people of color, but in a way that I am listening and then like respecting and acting and holding my white community um, to those same kind of hopes and standards. Yeah. What are three things that you're particularly grateful for lately? Mm, My friends, sorry, hokey for this episode, but like definitely true. My larger writing community, which feels like it keeps growing and that feels really exciting. And also, I mean, like everything, I feel very grateful in general right now, but grateful that I had the time off from school and the financial means to spend the summer in Oregon, even though I technically live in New York right now, because that feels like where my heart lives. And I feel very, very grateful that I get to spend this time here. What's one thing that you're actively working to get better at? Maybe it's like a skill or just something that you're trying to improve. Hmm. I guess I'm trying to get better at like everything. (laughs) Um, Listening. I, I talk a lot about direct communication and I think I'm very good at directly communicating how I feel. (laughs) But I think, um, I mean, as you heard on this podcast, I am very good at talking And I would always like to be improving my listening skills. Hmm. The next question is a boundary-related question. What's one specific boundary of yours that's important to you? And sort of what does it look like in your real life to honor it? Mm. Um, My work boundary. I used to have terrible boundaries around getting my work done. And I would kind of be like, oh, I'm like a writer and not – I really wasn't like respecting my own work, I don't think. And I've been practicing talking about my career as a writer, which I used to kind of do like air quotes around the word career. And I I guess just trying to like take myself more seriously. And in doing that, I've made stronger boundaries around like what my work life looks like. And I definitely in the past have let people with all different kinds of relationships to me dictate like how I should be doing my work or like if it's valid for me to, or even just like in little insidious ways, you know, I'd be like, oh, I should really write this weekend. And like a partner or like a family member, like, and a friend would be like, oh, but like, do you have to? And it's on me to be like, yeah, I have to, you know, cause like they're allowed to ask that, like, that's sweet that they want to hang out with me, but I have to make the boundary and be like, yes, this is my job. This is my passion. I'm writing a book. Like I, I want that to happen. So yes, I really do have to. And that's been like a new boundary experience for me. And it's hard, but yeah. Yeah. Which two or three books, any kind of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? 
Mm, oh my God, like 9 million books. <laughs> um, I think Valencia by Michelle T really changed my life when I came out. Um, it is kind of like a queer coming of age novel, but that that's not good enough of a description of what it is. It's just amazing. Everyone should read it, whether you're queer or not. Um, I love Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. I kind of like keep it by my bed and um, reference it often. And then the three books that are on my desk that I would recommend to everybody that are kind of like my writer books are Chronology of Water by Lydia Yuknovich, Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado, and um, The Fact of a Body, which is a content warning uh, nonfiction and quite dark. And I had to read it like during the daytime with all the lights on. So just like, um, don't, don't pick that one up like casually. If you're like an easily nervous person like that, that needs just kind of like that warning to it without giving away the plot. Yeah. That doesn't sound Nicole approved at all. So <laughs> that is not for me. <laughs> okay. So thank you for the warning. Yeah. Um, so the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Um, I think I'm going to pass on the thing that I'm working on, which is listening. I think, you know, a lot of us feel very filled with despair right now, or at least a lot of us living in the United States, perhaps. And I think there are a lot of people, specifically people of color, but also, you know, just, just lots of people who have been sort of historically oppressed by this country who have felt despair and who have also been telling us, like, they, they haven't really had time to feel despair because they've been called to action long before a lot of, um, honestly, like mostly white people kind of became filled with despair and, um, horror and anger when Trump was elected. So I've been really trying hard to listen to people who I think know more than I do about the ways in which this country has always been and also like really needs to change like years ago, but needs to change now and listening and then kind of trying to act in accordance with those voices as opposed to like the dominant racist white voice of the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a great call to action for all of us, especially like white people speaking to other white people to kind of like remind each other that that's what we should be doing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Personally, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have either a favorite way to connect with new folks? Is there a way for people to get your wonderful writing? Yeah. Thank you for asking. I live on the internet. I am on Instagram at Vanessa Takes Photos. Um, I always tell people if you don't want to see my boobs, don't follow me. So that's a heads up. I'm on Twitter at Vanessa Pamela. I have a website where I'm VanessaPamela.com. And that's just kind of like a good spot if you need to like find me. It has my email and everything. Um, and then I'm the community editor at Autostraddle. So I write very regularly on Autostraddle.com. I also have a bi-weekly newsletter that, Nicole, maybe you could just like link to. I, I think it's, I don't remember the URL, but people can sign up and read my newsletter. It's a, it's a tiny letter. And I think that's it. I'm working on a book about queer friendship, but that will, you know, hopefully be available in like the next two to five years when I finish writing it and sell it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not available yet. But in the meanwhile, um, hopefully all that internet content will hold everyone over. 
Much, much <laughs> internet content. Good writing, good boobs. Vanessa Thank you. Story. Oh my God. Good writing, good boobs. That's my new sappy and slutty. <laughs> oh my God. Totally. Um, this is awesome, Vanessa. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. So go say hi. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like you. So if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. I can't tell you how much your support means to me. It's literally what keeps the show going, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.